Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the newest member of the podcast series. This one focuses specifically on crypto, and I've actually done some updates on crypto, but I did it on my main podcast and decided to branch it out into its own because I realized that this is a topic in of itself, and it doesn't need to be convoluted with my other updates that I do that have nothing to do with crypto, but crypto deserves its own set of updates specific to it with two branches. One is just general information such as this. The other is more news oriented. And this one's on Apple iTunes as well. And then I'm going to create a collection people can subscribe to. But I wanted to start sharing some information and some people requested I create a podcast for it or at least supported it. So that's what I'm doing. I'm going to, I don't know how much time I'll dedicate to these episodes, but um, there is no set schedule. I'll just update as I find information or believe that it's of value. I wanted to start with this concept of market cap. If you haven't gotten into crypto before, but you're not new to trading, you already know what this concept of market cap. When you get into crypto, you're going to start seeing battles, literal battles between two sides about market cap and the impact of market cap on the success or failure of cryptocurrency. College economics teaches you about market cap and how we calculate it and how this all works. But where it fails is that, in my personal opinion, we cannot attribute all of the different economics that were taught to crypto as we would with fiat because the rules are different with crypto versus fiat. Crypto versus fiat. Because, as I said in a different episode, crypto has no real value, real value, until you transact with it. Once you transact with it, it generally is going to be converted to a fiat form because that is the common form for transactions. The exception, of course, would be, as an example, El Salvador, who has adopted Bitcoin as its currency, as its fiat. But most of the most of the countries in the world, I don't believe they're going to go to that extreme. I believe they're going to keep their fiat because for them, it creates more predictability when they go to collect taxes, which is a whole different topic. The problem, though, is that in crypto, we needed to have a way to assess the success and level of success and the vector of that success and the direction of where it's going in a quantitative measure. We needed to be able to have some number that says it's successful or we believe it to be and or it is not successful or we believe it not to be. And how do we put the number to that? That number became essentially market cap. Market cap specifically in crypto, but it applies generally. Market cap is a very simple straightover equation, and you're going to see online that many people misunderstand what market cap implies. I'll get to that in a second. Just let me talk about the equation. Market cap in its simplest form is I have a circulating amount of X. In this case, it's tokens or coins. You could have in U.S. dollars, you could have gold, you could have silver. It's whatever X is, is there's a circulation of. In crypto, the circulating number is different than the total number because circulating number means who doesn't hold this. It's out there for somebody to hold, but nobody currently holds this. That's circulating. Now, in crypto, now the, the issue is that you have a full and with full, you also have a different metric that's not specifically considered in how that's calculated. So you have to look at multiple numbers to really understand 
how this all works. But we want to start with the circulating supply because the circulating supply is going to tell us, again, the popularity of the token as it pertains to whatever it is. In this case, the over the net over the span of two years, three years, five years, whatever that number is, that should tell us, okay, here's what we got, here's what we have available, and the value of it, which is based on scarcity. Now, when I say that this is this is a number that people aren't holding, that doesn't mean it's just sitting there. It's constantly in flux. It's constantly being bought or sold. Just like US dollars, if I get money out of the bank because I need to go get gas, that number is going to that's moving. When it comes from the bank, when it's sitting in the bank, it's circulating. It's currency that's out there. When it comes to me, it's not circulating. When I transact it, it temporarily circulates. That person's going to get that money. They're going to put it into a bank. It's no longer circulating. So you got to think of it in terms of money movement is the easiest way to think about it. That's how much is available. So the money that or tokens that you have in your stake are not circulating until you transact with them or you give them to someone or you do something with it other than hold. When there's less of a circulation available, it creates a scarcity. The scarcity increases the value per token, dollar, whatever, because there's less available for people to hold or buy or sell. That increases value necessarily. At a time in the past, dollars used to be backed by gold. They went away from that, and now it's just basically paper that's accounted for because of the rise of electronic systems and debit cards and more advanced banking systems. And the idea that they didn't want to have to manage gold and tie it to the dollar because it limited the ability to increase the amount of circulation that was out there. However, when you increase the amount circulating you are creating inflation. Inflation is nothing more than there's so much out there that we might as well just raise prices because there's so much now floating out there that the value of what we have is going down. Now, if you follow that, and again, do your own due diligence out and do searches to really dig into these concepts. But if you follow what we're talking about here, this idea that I've got circulating amounts that are being bought and sold and transacted, that at that point people aren't holding and you have inflation, which is based on the increase of what's circulating. And if you decrease the circulating, it creates scarcity, which then increases value because there's less available as rarity and scarcity. You now can properly calculate market cap and understand its relevance to what we're talking about. In most cryptos now, they will have a defined amount of total in flight. That may be a quintillion, it may be 100 quintillion, maybe 500 billion, it may be 50 billion, it doesn't matter. They've created a defined number that's available total. If it's a super large number, they'll usually burn 45 to 55% of it, possibly higher, in order to at least get to a baseline without getting too fast to the price target that they're shooting for. As people then transact with this and they buy and they sell these tokens, this affects the inventory. You have buy behavior and sell behavior. All of the behaviors together create 
all these different dynamics I talked about and thus affect the market cap for that token or that coin. The market cap as a straight over calculation then, once we wrap our heads around all this, it is a straight over calculation, and I'm going to dig into this after this, but the straight over is whatever that circulating supply happens to be is multiplied by its current value. When I say current value, value per token or per X is always in flux. It's always moving. It's always going up or down. So it's never it's a moving target and it's never pinpoint this what it is, but we can get reasonably close to a target. So in certain cases, that's 14 billion or 10 billion. If we see that it's going up, it gives us a sense that there's interest in this or because the circulating supply is going down, right? So there's people that are buying up the supply that's there and it's lessening the circulating supply. If it's going down, it means there's more out there that people aren't buying. So there's possibly some sell behavior or at worst, in some tokens, they actually will create more supply to meet demand. You've heard about Doge. Doge's mechanic is that they can mint more tokens all the time and I believe it's 10,000, but they mint more tokens all the time to add to the supply that's available for people to trade. Well, that means it's inflationary. It means that there's always going to be some measure of inflation because they believed that some inflation is always healthy to keep things moving and keep the price reasonable and make sure that it's still accessible for people to want to buy in. Because remember, as we see with Bitcoin, if you purposely constrain supply, you're going to make it harder for newer people to buy in because now the price is way out of whack. Now, of course, you can buy the lowest possible component, which is a Satoshi, all you care to. So you can still buy in, but your gains are going to be minimized because you can't hold more than you can afford. So the inflationary tokens try to avoid that by saying, we want at least some inflation. We'll just kind of manage it so that there's at least a tiny bit of inflation over time, which is a mirror image to how the United States dollar and other fiats work, which is there's supposed to be some measured inflation. Now with the US dollar in particular, that inflation percentage has kind of gone higher than what they expected to do because of the pandemic and the aid that they thought was necessary to put out there and then additional aid that they're trying to pass now. So they've actually gone beyond what they thought was reasonable and the result is that the prices of things are skyrocketing such as gas. So it's a debate whether or not inflationary versus deflationary is actually the right answer. I'm just simply summarizing that Doge and it, as an example, is by definition an inflationary token because you can buy in and they want to make sure you can always buy in. But because the supply will always go up steadily, it means it will never get to an outrageous, unreasonable price per token. They want more people to own it. Other tokens... And SHIB is not one of these because SHIB has a, I wouldn't say defined, but it's a preset amount of total tokens. And then the circulation is what it is. And they don't add tokens and they do not regular or not, uh, they're more triggered type, what's called burns, to remove tokens slowly out of the pool. So it's not truly deflationary in the sense that it's a constant steady removal of circulation but it's a managed type of deflation to make sure that, yes, we still want people to be able to buy into this thing, but we set the total supply high enough 
that by the time we get to the point that the that people have used up the supply, it's still a reasonable priced type token. But then other people who bought in early can reap the rewards. So I can't really truly call it deflationary because it'll never get to a point without significant controlled burn, which is a triggered activity to remove significant amounts from the circulating pool. However, other tokens like Saitama, which I haven't done an article yet, but I may, is truly deflationary because as you transact with it, it has the same total capacity as sheep, but as you transact with it, it burns a percentage and then it redistributes a percentage to everybody else. So it's closer to more of a socialist type approach only by way saying that it's spreading the wealth to everybody else. The amount that you get is based on how much you have already. So if you already have a pretty decent stake, you're just getting and reaping the rewards as people transact with it based on the circulating supply. So you're getting a piece of what's in circulation, very similar to the way Social Security works. That's why I say socialist. It is truly deflationary because it's predefined. It's automatic. It's, it doesn't require you do anything other than have some in pool. Similar to interest, except that interest is bank-defined, not really that high, requires significant amounts of money to see really anything from it, and it's based on them lending your funds out. So if you have stock and you put your stock in whichever exchange, they're actually potentially lending your stock out to other people. So they may be giving you some interest on that or like a savings account or a checking account or a CD. In crypto, the lending out generally doesn't happen unless you've authorized it to happen. And in most exchanges, that isn't happening with the United States because of regulations and they don't want to be locked down. We've seen that with Coinbase. They backed off of it. All of which to say, the market cap being just a straight-over equation from the price, and as I mentioned on another episode, the price is perceptive. It is what somebody is willing to pay for a thing. If you see that it's under a penny, you think it's cheap. Or maybe you want to create diversity in your portfolio. Or maybe you saw it on the news. Something triggered you to buy it. If they're willing to pay whatever the price is, the price is what it is. You multiply that price by the circulating supply and it creates this market cap number that tells us here's really how interesting this product is to everybody that's trading it. Now, here's where the misconception comes in. That market cap does not have a limit, quote unquote, because fiat hasn't come into play when you define the market cap. Because again, when it's circulating, there's transactions happening that are fiat-based, but the value is constantly changing. The perceived price is constantly changing. You have limit orders that are affecting price. You have all these different factors, factors that even you don't see. Because of all this transactional activity, some of which is fiat and some of which isn't, the market cap simply gives you an indication of how popular something is, not necessarily that that's all the money that's truly there. It doesn't really mean anything until people cash out. Most people wouldn't cash out because the whole point is to hold or HODL. And for people that are confused that see that everywhere, it's not, it was a misspelling, but it's been turned into an acronym. HODL, of course, refers to hold on for dear life. That's what it stands for. The thought is you're just holding it. You're just keeping it. You're not selling it. You may buy more, which still creates circulating activity 
that you can see that affects the market cap, but you're not selling your hold back into the pool with the thought being that we want to constantly have the value go up. You're always going to have people that sell. So there's always activity. Thus why the market cap is, should be used to measure just the popularity of a thing because buy and sell activity together gives you what the market cap truly is because it's based on circulating supply. It doesn't mean, let's use Sheeb as an example. With Sheeb, if I were to query what its market cap is, currently that's around $11 billion. It doesn't mean that there's truly $11 billion sitting in SHIB. It means that there's $11 billion worth of activity at any given time around the token of what's circulating. At some point, when you look at Bitcoin as an example, it's $1 trillion. I can almost guarantee you that SHIB will never hit $1 trillion of market cap because it can't because there's too much circulating supply. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect the price of a thing. The price is going to constantly go up as there's buy activity. The circulating supply is going to constantly go down as there's buy activity. And at some point, what you're going to see is that the math works itself that you'll still see significant increases in market cap, regardless of the fact that there's higher circulating supply on cheap because of this change in the pricings. That's what people are not understanding. They think that, and you'll see this, that market cap simply means that it, it's, it's impossible for this to hit a penny. Let me tell you a story. Doge, I said before, has an infinite, essentially, supply of tokens out there, and it is inflationary. Doge started with four zeros under a decimal, so it was way less than a penny, fraction of a penny. And January of this year, it only had two zeros and a nine. Then roughly six, seven months in, six months in, it skyrockets to 70 cents primarily because of a tweet from Elon Musk. And I'll say this statement, then we'll wrap it up. The price of a thing is going to be what it's going to be regardless of what you or I have to think about it. It doesn't matter. Value of something is perception. It's what somebody sees as the value of a thing. Because we can, if we can accept that, it means that this is this price for any crypto is going to go wherever it's going to go, regardless of what you think, regardless of what you have to say about it. And to some degree, we have to kind of twist what we think about the economics to fit crypto with one thing in mind. Crypto has no value until you transact with it. Prior to that, when you're holding it, its value is going to be whatever it's going to be. Market cap just simply points us in the direction of where it's going and how, what we should decide to do if we hold, buy, sell, make smart decisions on it, don't rely on it.